Welcome to Fret Not with me, Rosie Bennett. Fret Not is the podcast that aims to demystify the learning process that we all go through in our lives, work and otherwise. I'll be talking to the champions in our field and help us to work out how we can learn from what they've already figured out. Nothing in life is a linear process, so let's get more at ease with the ups and the downs and realise that wherever we are in our journey, we really aren't alone. This podcast is brought to you by Augustine Strings, a string company with real heart and my string of choice. Check them out at augustinestrings.com. Today I'll be talking to René Izquierdo, Cuban-born classical guitarist and pedagogue. René graduated from the Superior Institute of Art in Havana and went on to earn a master's degree in music and an artist diploma from Yale University in the United States, where he studied with Benjamin Verdry. With over 70 engagements per year, whether as a solo performer, chamber musician, or as a guest soloist with orchestras, he's performed to critical acclaim, touring extensively throughout the Americas, Europe, and Asia. So, Rene, thank you for coming on Fret Not. You're currently in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and you have been for the duration of this pandemic. How are you doing? Doing fine, considering uh, still doing an isolated concert here and there online, so... Are you enjoying that? No, I hate it. Like, (laughs) what's to like about that? Mm. It's just like, you don't travel, you don't meet new people, you don't experience new things. Uh, mm. And the experience is very void when you play for a camera there and there's nothing else. There's no feedback. You, you finish playing a piece and you don't know if to stand up and bow or <laughs> stay sitting. It's, it's a whole awkward mm. situation that is never e- at, at ease, you know. But, you know, there's nothing we can do at the moment. And let me tell you, we better learn how to deal with it because some of that will stick for a lot longer after the pandemic is gone. Because especially for many presenters, this has uh, offered an opportunity to double, like for example, in festivals, to double uh, attendance and people paying the the fee because now they don't have to travel and spend money. So they're making, uh, you know, places, uh, competitions that used to have like, or festivals that used to have 30 participants now get 90, 100, you know, because there's no expense related to anything else. So Mm -hmm. it's easier to maintain. So uh, many of these festivals will still retain some of that. Like I I would bet that it will be like first, second round uh, online video submission and then the final round live, you know, when you already travel and know that you're going to get some kind of prize or something. Mm. So we better get the idea, not the, used to the idea of performing regularly like this, but like you still will have to do one or two concerts in this format. Do you think that considering the format of the competitive process has changed so much in this period and that a lot of the benefit of the networking and live performance opportunities have all but disappeared that this might kill competition culture or maybe be the end of competitions in the way that we know them no no good question i i don't think so because um first um that's one way of 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 creating more participation in festivals you know um festivals that never had a competition usually have a lower enrollment Mm. in general because people, young people want to go and try, give it a try to see if they can, you know, make a name for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think it will, it will not 
kill competitions. It will make things a little bit, uh, well, it's less obvious because a lot of people that um, that li in a live performance wouldn't be in the same environment. You know, you don't have the same pressure. It is awkward, but it's not the same as playing live mm. when you're recording a video camera. So you're evaluating people for performance in an environment that is not truly because you don't know if they will be playing live, if they will react exactly the same way because you can record 300 times, you know? At competitions right now are just staying this way just to maintain something alive. But mm. really it's not a true measure of performance. Well, I've actually been thinking about that quite a lot lately because I feel like I've seen a lot of jury statements and competition regulations saying that the judges will look beyond the recording setup and judge the performances as organically as possible. And obviously, while I understand that that has a lot to do with money and access to equipment, it has made me think a lot about prejudice within the competitive field. Um, digitization is a massive part of living in the modern era. So in order to reach our audience nowadays, we actually do need to think about audio quality. Like regular audiences won't be trying to look past that. Um, and I just don't feel like I've ever seen a jury saying that they will, for instance, look past the quality of instrument competitors might have or the clothes they're wearing. Yeah. We do have to face that in the digital world, having a good audio setup is as much an investment as a good instrument. And working on how to get the most out of technology is part of the art form. Yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. It's there's no, uh, listen, there's no denying. It's not, it's not denying. It's like, they will definitely, we are going to learn out of this, how to put a production mm. better, you know, and uh, uh, an image and uh, a product out there better, even in form of videos and things in the future. Uh, everybody has have to jump in this, you know, recording train mm -hmm. and there's not, um, no going back. Well, one of the things that I really do enjoy and also find quite heartening about the classical music tradition in the context of the current digital era is that the need for good contacts and following the quote unquote right path is slightly diminished. And I feel like it makes the career choice in itself a little bit more democratized. I know I like the idea that with just a phone and a guitar, you can reach the whole musical community. I feel like it gives a bit more equal opportunity that we may have never seen in this field before. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of possibilities that it's offering. It's bringing a different, a complete different scene into our, um, what was considered um, a career. I mean, at the end, at the end, um, mm what all of you are doing is just trying to survive mm -hmm. to stay to stay uh, in current and stay and do something that call attention and, and, and in terms it will evolve into a full-blown career mm -hmm. so hopefully you know all of this will keep adding in your favor mm -hmm. um, older generation like me and older older players uh, we are on our way out we just need to give you, we need to give you guys room to get in. I mean, you're like 40, right? I know, I know, but like, <laughs> but no, but you, we are on our way out. Now we are more, we are more on the receiving end, mm. on the giving end and the sense of uh, passing along information mm -hmm. than it is about just performing and, and having, you know, after this COVID 
crisis. Like I'm reconsidering how much I do want to be in top of an airplane traveling mm -hmm. hundreds of miles here and there, there, there. Like, I mean, I'm, you get tired mm. of all of that. So, I mean, maybe now when things come back to the new normal, whatever that is, I will bring the concerts to a much level, lower amount and try to enjoy life rather than just racing. You know, I'm, and just looking at myself, okay, well, you're racing against what? What are you trying to prove at this point? That you're playing X amount of concerts a year? Well, yeah, but is is, is that, I mean, what's, what's the toll mm. that that is taking? And if it's that more important? So a healthy balance. I know it's, it's kind of strange even to mention that when there are so many young players that are dying to have more concerts. But trust me, you need to be careful what you wish for. When sometimes what you what you wish comes in a completely different uh, light that you never expected. Well, talking about the unexpected, the wishful, and looking to the past and to the future, it feels like a good time to ask: What is the most important or meaningful lesson that you've learned so far? I think one of the most important is that it's never too late to do anything. You know, you have always have these taboos that if if by this age or by this time you cannot do this or that, then you should re need to start reevaluating your options and things what you're gonna do. And actually, it's not true. We have the ability if if we put the time and we put the effort to try to at least go towards that direction and see how far we can take it. Just find a way in and a way to stay with it. Mm. One of the things that I have learned is that it has to love what you do because you need to be drawn to do it. You don't want to be forced yourself into that. And and by saying that, I'm not really meaning because of course there are days in which you wake up and you don't necessarily want to practice. Mm -hmm. You don't have the desire, but but then that part is, those days is when the discipline kicks in and then you say, okay, I'm going to try to start. And I, even if I start doing a little bit of technique, and you know warm up and do something and then eventually without knowing i start playing and then i start practicing mm -hmm. so it is there are days in which obviously you don't feel inspired but in generally you want to be missing the instrument mm -hmm. you know you want to be drawn to it mm -hmm. and, and, and because it's such uh, in, in case of any arts but in especially musically and guitar uh, it, it's such a difficult feel in general to stay on top of it mm. in the quality that, mm. that you need to, to have that drive underneath almost to the point of madness uh, to get you to overcome all of the difficult paths that are going to come your way. Mm. And positive things, obviously, you know, it cannot be all, all trouble, you mm. know. You have to also have something that fits into itself that fits you back and give you the energy to continue going forward in a form of, of a good concert or in a form of a feeling. If it's an uphill constant battle, then eventually you're going to quit. Mm. I have learned that I'm not too old. No one is too old to achieve or start working or start trying to learn something. Mm -hmm. I remember one of my students did a presentation, brain uh, neuroplasticity in how, how the brain find new channels and things and ways to communicate, you know. Maybe, of course, it's not as efficient when you were starting at an earlier age, but they will still be able to, to achieve, depending on what, what you're looking for and what's your goal. Mm. 
it's a mixed bag for many for every player for every person and it comes with the with your with your life experiences and how would you draw draw from from your past and try to guide into your future what was that passion that ignited you at the beginning what was what draw you to the instrument mm -hmm. or to your current experience of whatever you want to be doing finding the true nature uh going to the roots of what uh, what was your strength uh when you were a child like what was something that uh always draw your attention mm. you know and your early exposure in life to art to music to you know science to math to whatever it is that that draw your attention and 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 what you felt comfortable with and try to explore more of that because that early exposure a lot of times reflects a lot of truth about you know the desire and the ability for you to connect mm -hmm. with whatever what you're doing like mm -hmm. I, i come from a big tradition of 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 teachers in my family my grandparents were both teachers and you know um and i think i have that that little inner desire of the educator in me since since young mm -hmm. i like teaching And I always saw performance as a secondary part in, in my life. But I realized that in order to stay on top of my teaching abilities, I need to stay on top of my performance abilities. Mm -hmm. Because there are some nuances that are a lot harder to teach if you actually are not experiencing it in person. Mm -hmm. I started guitar playing late in, in life. You know, classical guitar really seriously when I was 14. You know, and in Cuba, the education, the school starts a lot younger. Kids are start when they are nine, ten years old in guitar, even younger, depending if they had, you know, the right size instruments, you know. <laughs> uh, but um, I always felt that I was like kind of drowning, trying to catch up with everyone else that was already playing for many years. <laughs> and actually, I was very unhappy for the longest time because mm. um you know when you leave yourself trying to measure yourself your product against what's happening around you uh it just becomes a very unhealthy life and in many points i i i wanted to you know to really stop mm. uh and and try to look for other avenues um but when i came to the united states it was like a reboot because all of a sudden I was able to enter a master's degree uh, in music at Yale University. And I became a, a, you know, a music major, which before was not really in the, in the horizon for me. Mm. And then, you know, things start working in, in, in one direction. And I, and I saw how I could nurture my desire for teaching. Uh, that this way also i had different times in life like in which i had to revamp my technique for different reasons when i was uh, 17 years old mm -hmm. um, many things were not working because of course when i started 14 by 17 it's only three years mm -hmm. and i was pushing myself and mm -hmm. i developed all kind of bad habits mm -hmm. and and things too and so i need to I, i had to almost stop completely and said okay i need to restart and go back from the beginning and see all the elements from the very simple things and build up from that. 
And then I did that again when I was 25. And then uh, I had inflammation on the cubital nerve on the, on the left arm mm -hmm. from carrying boxes when I, work, I was working in a warehouse mm -hmm. when I arrived in the United States. And, you know, uh, a lot of hard work on that end and that actually did damage some of my hand. And of course that cash up with me when I started practicing and playing a little bit more assiduously. Mm. So then I have the, the solution was to operate for the doctor, but the success rate is, you know, they cannot guarantee you anything. And it's like, mm -hmm. so I decided to don't do, do not do the operation. Mm -hmm. and, and I kind of revamped my technique, accommodating some of these issues. I still have that problem. There are days that are better than others, but I'm least unable to play. Mm -hmm. So that was another big moment in which I didn't play for like guitar for like a year. When I arrived to the United States, I didn't play guitar for like two years almost, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, working in that warehouse and just doing very little guitar related. I didn't have an instrument at the time. I was just a, a new immigrant to the United States. So I had mm -hmm. to make ways to make a living and, and dreaming about guitar was not one of them. Mm. Um, so that time I almost quit completely. Then when I had this injury, I had to stop for a whole year and it made me rethink about like, well, maybe perhaps I just have to teach. I will, will only be able to teach and not play, but I brought myself back up and, mm -hmm. and was able to perform which I'm still doing until today, even with this problem, I still can, um, you know, keep, keep some kind of performance. Mm -hmm. But even if you have no injuries or no experience of that kind, there will still be times in your, in your performance career in which you hit a plateau and you don't feel, you feel like a lack of direction that happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. And my, my general advice for when that happens is to regroup, Try to see the things that why originally you like playing guitar. What are the elements of that that you like? Mm -hmm. And then go deeper and try to look inside and try to find for those, those answers by being observant of your own playing mm -hmm. and uh, aware of what is actually what you're trying to to achieve. And and I guarantee you that that will almost always get you into a different playing level mm -hmm. after that. If the idea is powerful enough to draw your effort mm -hmm. and you stick with it, you'll get there. I think that sentiment is something that a lot of people will find really heartening. Um, you are such a fantastic musician and you've dedicated so much of your life to teaching. I wondered what is a lesson you would like to impart? Be gentle, be gentle, because when we are when we are teaching, we don't know what everyone's baggage is what everyone's history is. And you need to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and then build your opinion to whatever they uh, they bring you, whatever your interaction it is with them. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what they have, what they come from before, uh, what information they got. But as long as you feel that they're trying to give you your very best, then it's up to you to give them your very best. Mm -hmm. I want I want my, t my students to be good teachers, not only good performers, uh, and pass along information that, that they have learned through me and they have learned through their own experience and their own life. It's important, it's important for me that the torch keeps getting passed 
just because it will improve our instrument. I want them to understand that the role of, of playing music cannot be an individualistic one because we are working to create beauty, to bring beauty and to share beauty with people. The way your music has to be in some, in some aspects, just as your life should be, that desire of sharing, that desire of, of connecting, you know, it's our physical manifestation of the beauty that we see manifest in nature. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to, you know, in the form of sound, in the form of poetry, of painting, you know, all of that is just creating a new aesthetics of beauty, of essence, of how we perceive the world. Do you ever feel that you have as much a connection with a student in the lesson as you do as a performer on stage with an audience? Actually, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I you can see actually in master classes when you, when you see when you say something that all of a sudden, like a, a eureka moment comes into the eyes of the student, and not only the ones that are playing, also the ones that are listening. You can you can feel properly that 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 moment when it happens, when you say something that they never thought before, but they, it makes absolute sense to them and it clarifies things into a whole new level. And uh, many times there are no need even for words. You know that it's there. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, you feel it. You feel all of a sudden this gratitude for, for that information that you just gave. Uh, and that goes both ways. You know, a lot of times somebody may be performing a piece or doing something during a masterclass and will perform a, a phrase or do something which I'd never thought of, in which it, it makes absolute sense for me at that moment, in that particular point. And I'm very grateful for that experience, for being able to 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 have that into my collective experience of, of teaching guitar. And, and And you can feel that with the students all the time. Well, we've spoken about how you came to teaching and your teaching ethos, but I wanted to ask you, what's a lesson that you yourself are in the process of learning at the moment? Well, first of all, I'm working about trying to be a little bit more gentle with myself and less critical without, you know, being oblivious to the fact of the things that I want to achieve. Mm -hmm. In general, I'm understanding what do I want out of the instrument uh, how uh, how do I want to achieve it? Now my fingers wouldn't not necessarily follow the same way I was I was a young fella, <laughs> but your mind is there, you know, and you know exactly what you want to do and how you want to get it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm listening. I'm trying to be much more aware now to the story that I want to say when I'm playing versus versus how am I playing it? Mm-hmm. You know, in in many ways I was trying always to be like you know conscious about what my fingers are doing and, and if they're being efficient, I can get, make them, you know, from a technical perspective. Now I'm just more past that and just getting into, into okay, what am I going to say? Is it coming out exactly that way? Is, is, it, is it what I'm envisioning? Is it the sound that I have on my head? Is it the way I want to phrase? Now when I'm trying to approach a piece, I mean, I, I know it sounds pretentious what I'm about to say, but I don't mean it that way. I'm trying to think, okay, what would be the ultimate, my ultimate approach to performing a performance of this piece? 
you know, like if a pianist will be approaching this piece, what would they try to do with it? Mm -hmm. You know, if they didn't, if they didn't know about the limitations for our instruments. So I'm trying to look beyond the limitations of, of our instruments and trying to see if I can achieve that in a way. And that, that gets me to in other realms of possibilities mm -hmm. uh, that otherwise I would not consider because first the amount of effort and second, because of the physical aspects of our instrument, you know, the nature of the sound dying after you plucked, can you do a crescendo on a single note? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, and, and things like things that are more perhaps in our brain than anything else. But mm -hmm. just by, by leading that, those, the, by getting outside the boundaries of our instrument, it has helped me try to achieve other things that otherwise I don't think I would have been able to. One of your arrangements or translations that really transcends the instrument is that of the Debussy arabesque. I know that you made your first version of it in your teens and that it's actually still a work in progress. Um, have the parameters for what you're trying to achieve, what you're trying to transmit with that music, have those things changed over time? First, I love Debussy. And I love impressionism in music. It, I think it's it's beautiful, and it goes with you know, with the way I will think about fantasy, mm. and and I will imagine imaginary worlds, and I think that music behind it, you know, the <laughs> prelude, the the primitive found, you know, I would think of 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 you know all kind of fantasy episodes with that, uh, but I. In the case of, of Debussy, I always loved the music and and I happened to, so I don't know if you know this, but like uh, I heard in the Havana Guitar Festival, Eduardo Baranzano is an Uruguayan guitarist. Uh, he played uh, this piece in the competition. And of course, I immediately loved it. Uh, but back then I was still, you know, wasn't able to play that much. And, and I tried to look for the music everywhere and I wasn't able to because it was not, no, there was no access anywhere. So I, I started, okay, so I cannot find it. So I think, guess I'm going to have to do an arrangement. So I started doing an arrangement just out of that, out of the sheer necessity of playing it. It's not that I was trying to break the, the boundaries of my, but it just was a necessity. Again, the idea, the idea that drives the desire, that drives the results. But the point is, yes, I keep looking, I keep doing arrangements of other pieces, um, other instruments for music, for guitar, try to expand, but always trying to think of ways that will add something. Mm. Because if, if, if it's something that is just going to make the piece loose in all accounts, then it's not worth it. People were going to think like, but why to do that? Like, you know, if in the piano sounds so much better or in the... Symphony orchestra sounds so much better. What exactly are you trying to achieve with that? But again, you know, uh, for example, n nothing that I'm against it because I, well, the first time I heard it, I was blown away. But when I heard Yamashita playing uh, pictures and exhibitions, I was like, the first thing comes like, but really, you know, it was like, wow. But then the second one is like, well, but it really doesn't sound like uh, the orchestra arrangement of, of Ravel or not the piano, you know, and, and it loses quite a lot. But but again, the fact that that it was tried, it was achieved and he could play it, it, it pushed the boundaries technically of what the instruments could do. So, you know, at the end, a very positive thing came out of that. Jorge Morel, 
actually was the one that talked to me about that. It's like, you need to make sure that you understand the difference, clear difference between the arrangement and a transcription. If you put every single note that there is there, but it kills the idea of the of the intent of the phrase because it's too busy or it's impossible, then it's, it's, it's working against you. Mm. You're absolutely right. It is so important that we take into consideration the strengths and the qualities of the guitar when we're translating music. I do feel like I see it a little bit more in this new generation of players that there is a little bit more awareness um, and also curiosity in place of angst about the guitar's limitations. It's um, definitely a great time to be a guitarist. Exactly. So I think the golden note of the guitar for me is now. It's what's happening now in forms of compositions, in forms of performance quality, in forms of performance level, in form of uh, pedagogic development. For me, the more, the more we get, the better we will become as players, as human beings, and no lose to that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Fretnot. Join me in two weeks' time, where I'll be talking to Alexandra Whittingham about music education, imposter syndrome, and the concept of selling out.